We're in a series called On Your Mark. Somebody say, On Your Mark. Get set. Go. We have decided, uh, I guess this year is what it looks like, to go through the book of Mark. <laughs> Crystal thinks that's funny, yes. We're in chapter 8, and we're halfway through the year, so God willing, and the creek doesn't rise, we may be through Mark by the end of the year. But we've taken the, the book of Mark, and can you believe your pastor originally thought this was going to be a 16-week series? Can you believe I thought we were going to do a chapter a week? Dear me, what was I thinking? So we've decided this year to go through the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter by chapter, line by line. And how many of you, I take a risk here, but I think it's worth the risk. How many of you would say you've been blessed by this series on the gospel of Mark? Man, I sure have. I have learned, I've read Mark dozens of times, but I've been so blessed diving in. And, and so when you go through scriptures verse by verse and chapter by chapter, you have to deal with all the hard passages. How many know there's some hard stuff in the Bible? I appreciate my friends, Meshach and Bethany. Would you guys wave at everybody? If you don't know Meshach and Bethany, you are missing out. I'm telling you, get to know them. If you have not introduced yourself, go up today and introduce yourself. I just love this couple. He is from uh, Africa, a country in Africa, and uh, he came up and said that it would be a real blessing for the pastors there to hear what we talked about last week on false doctrine because they deal with that a lot in their church, and we deal with a lot in, Amer in the American church as well. And so I appreciate those, those kind words of encouragement. But I want to just challenge you, really lock in and dive in. I've got, I really have a word this morning. Uh, how many know God knows what he's doing when he plans these messages? He gave me this message as a part one of a two-part series. So I don't have all the pressure on me to finish this today. This will carry over till next week. So you better not miss next week. Can I have an amen? But we're going to jump in today, and we're going to read some scriptures. And let me just, let me just tell you that this, this week and next week will be very closely related. The, these passages really tie in together. And I want to encourage you, if at all possible, be here. Because how many of you want to go deeper in your walk with God? How many of you want to go deeper in your love walk with Jesus? How many of you want to be more in love with Jesus? How many of you want to be known only by your walk with God and not by your personality and not by what you can do? Amen. We want just a closer walk with the Lord. That would be a good song. I don't know. Somebody ought to think about that song. So, so we, we want to we wanna go deeper in our walk with God, and we want to go to a new level. Somebody say, I'm going to a new level. Now, we're going to dive in this morning to Mark chapter 8, and I believe we're going to start in verse 22. We're going to read through and, and break this down. Now, how many of you are taking notes? I know Sister Gail's taking notes because she's a preacher, and she wants something good to preach one day, so she's taking notes. But I promise you, if you'll take notes and lock in and review this during the week, it will help you in your walk with God. It will help you grow. Because it's, we get busy, and things come in our mind, and, and Meredith, they leave just as soon as they do. And so when your students, she's a teacher, when your students are studying, they have to take notes. And so I want to encourage you, bring a notepad, write some things down. God may give you a word from heaven during this sermon or a sermon. And if you don't have a notepad, write it down. You may forget it when you walk out of the door. I've got notes that encourage me that I've written years ago. So I encourage you to take notes. Now let me set up Mark chapter 8 for you for just a moment if I can. This is kind of a woodshed moment in the gospel. How many of you know what a woodshed moment is? How many of you have ever had any of those woodshed moments? Praise God. How many of you lived in the woodshed growing up? For those of you who don't know what a woodshed is, ask Pastor Randy before he leaves today. And he can tell you. It's his last assignment to explain to you what a woodshed moment is. Mark chapter 8 is really the dividing line. If you took the gospel of Mark, which has 16 chapters, and divided it, you would wind up at chapter 8. 
not only is chapter 8 numerically a division, but it is, it is really the continental divide, if you will, of the entire gospel. The water flows this way on one side, and the water flows this way on the other side. Our folks from Colorado, they know all about that. And it's really a moment where we spend the first eight chapters of Mark finding out who is Jesus. We find out who is this man. And we spend the last eight chapters of Mark really dissecting and explaining what Jesus came to do. I'm going to shock you here. You may not know this, but the last eight chapters of Mark cover six months of the life of Jesus. All of Jesus' life mostly now is over. He has six months more to live on this earth and to minister before his death and resurrection. And so Jesus is moving his ministry from Galilee. That's been his headquarters. He's moving it back down to the Jerusalem area, getting ready for the crucifixion. So the title of the sermon today is Staying Focused on God. Staying Focused on God. Would you say that with me? Staying Focused on God. I believe this is a very pertinent word for us as a church and for me as an individual. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. If you're there, say amen. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and to heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Notice this here. Catch this verbiage. Jesus led him out of the village And then spitting in the man's eyes. Boy, Jesus liked to spit on people. I think next time we have a healing line, come on up. (laughs) Now, I will tell you that in this day, spit had medicinal purposes, or at least they thought that it had medicinal purposes. And and when they would take medicine, they would mix it with saliva. And how many know that probably explains the the 50-year life expectancy or 40-year life expectancy? But that's what you call swapping spit, praise God. But they, would, they, would, they really thought that spitting had medicinal purposes. And so Jesus used this as a method. I'm going to show you this in a second. He used spit, something the man would be familiar with. He used it as a method to cause faith to come alive in his heart. So the Bible says Jesus spit in the man's eyes, and then he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? Nowadays, with cell phones, we say, Can you hear me now? In Jesus' day, he said, can you see anything now? And so this, this, is, this is a very interesting point here. Now, let me just say this. Jesus took the man out of the village. Are you tracking with me? Why? Because Bethsaida, you may not know this, but if you read the Gospels, Bethsaida was rebuked by Jesus. Somebody say rebuked. Jesus rebuked Bethsaida because they had hardened hearts and they had no faith. And so this man was in a village of no faith. He would be like being in a church that didn't believe in the power of God, like being among congregations that didn't believe that God could still heal you today and touch your body. This man was in a a town of nothing but doubt and unbelief. And so Jesus had to get him out of the environment that was holding him back. Because even though Jesus is God, he requires our faith to operate in our life. Even though God loves me and God is sovereign, he works with my faith. And so Jesus led this man out of the village and spit in the mud, spit in his eyes here, and began to activate faith because although, catch this now, we're going to read this in a minute, what had happened. Jesus had got the man out of the town, but he hadn't got the town out of the man. Let me say that again. Jesus had brought the man out of the town, but he had not yet got the town out of the man. And so we see something very interesting that happens here in this passage. Look at verse 24. That's why why we need a great church like this. Pastor Randy talked about the community of believers that we have. We need to be around people that believe God. 
I was talking to Andrea this morning about a special need in her family. And she said, we've already decided this is what we're praying for and agreeing for. And, and I didn't go, oh, well, I don't know. That sounds really hard for God. That sounds like a, I said, absolutely. I'll add my faith right with yours. We need to be around people of faith. Can I have an amen? We need to be around people that believe something. I don't want to be around faith and doubt and unbelief. I want to be around faith people. Can I have an amen? So Jesus led him out of the village. Now look at verse 24. This is so interesting. The man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. He said, they look like trees walking around. How many know that's a problem? How many know if you see people? people as trees how many know you'll be cutting down people and talking to trees <laughs> that's a problem and so Jesus here notice what notice what happened here Jesus Jesus recognizes that this man has not yet fully believed remember Bethsaida was rebuked by Jesus because of their doubt and unbelief the town was still in this man, and Jesus had to help him and elevate his faith. Let me, let me point this out. God meets you where you are. God meets you where you are. Jesus did not condemn the man and say, well, if you had more faith, you'd be seeing all the way 2020 right now. Jesus loved him. He said, well, you've not got it yet. Let me give you another dose. Let me help you again. Let me help you increase your faith to get to where I want you to go. And Jesus had compassion on this man. Now, this is the only time in the gospel where we see Jesus uh, doing a, a miracle uh, more than once to get the result because he laid his hands on him and he couldn't see all the way and then Jesus laid his hands on him again. And I think this was done, not, it wasn't God's power limited. You know, Jesus didn't sin that morning and have half of his power gone. Can I have an amen? There was doubt, there was unbelief, hardening of heart. So Jesus had to work with that. But also this establishes for us very clearly that not every miracle and not every prayer is answered immediately. Wouldn't you love it if everything happened immediately? I mean, you know, sometimes you have to wait. You know, have, sometimes we have to have divine patience. The Bible talks about faith and patience. And so this here established for, is for us that, you remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prayed. And it took 21 days for the answer. God sent the answer. And it took 21 days for the answer to become manifested because there was demonic opposition. How many know when you're praying, sometimes there's demonic opposition? Do you think Satan's just going to lay down and let, let all your prayers just get answered without a fight? Satan's going to fight to keep you from the answer God wants you to have. So we've got to be persistent. We've got to keep going. We've got to press on because God wants us to have these things. Now, let's look at verse 25. So Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and they were opened. And his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. I'm going to tell you this. I was working on this passage last week, and I don't know if you noticed last Sunday, but I had a major issue with my eye. I think you guys thought I was just filling the spirit all day and was just weeping, you know, walking around crying all, all day. But I was at the beach the week before, and one of my kids or wind or something or Miss Tara, you know how she is, somehow all the sand being thrown around, I had got sand in my eye. I had to leave this place immediately after the service and my eye doctor opened his practice for me on a Sunday, a Memorial Day weekend. I mean, no, I'm on the VIP list, praise God. And he had to clean my eye out because it was irritated. And I was speaking this scripture all day. I was like, ah, thank you, Lord, that I see clearly. <laughs> and so I just thought I'd throw that out there because this passage really meant something to me last week because I was having some major issues. 
But notice this here in verse 26. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. And there's a whole reason why that happened. So, so many times we, we look at our request for God. And if we don't see the answer that we desire, we feel like God did not hear us. Jesus did not lay hands on the man a second time because he felt like God did not hear him the first time. It wasn't that God the Father didn't hear Jesus the first time, but this man needed encouragement. He needed to be strengthened in his faith. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Faith is going to rise in all of our hearts, and we're going to receive from the Lord. Now, I want to continue on in this passage because they tie together. This man was physically blind. But now we're going to read about a man that is spiritually blind. What's the title of the message? Staying focused on God. Staying focused on God and the things of the Lord. So let's look now in verse 27 in Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee. Boy, this is such a good story. You're going to love this. Jesus left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And they were walking along and he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? Now, if every one of you could look at me, please, for just a minute, I want to see the whites of your eyes because I'm going to stand before God one day on how I present this to you. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And then they go on, they begin to answer, and we'll read that. And then Jesus looks at them and said, who do you say that I am? And i got to tell you this with all my heart because I love you. One day you will stand before God and you will have to answer this question for yourself. I cannot answer this question for you. Everyone in the room is accountable to this question. Who is Jesus to you? If Jesus is the Christ and he's your Messiah, he's your Savior, then that will allow you to enter the throne of heaven. But if Jesus is just a good man, if he's just a good prophet, you will give an account. And that's not the answer. Jesus is the way. He's not a way. And so everyone in the room has to answer this question for our own individual self. Who do we say that Jesus is? Verse 28, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And then verse 29, he asked them, here it is, who do you say that I am? Notice this, now this is so interesting to me because this hits me at home because I feel this way sometimes. Peter said, you are the Messiah. Now going down to the next verse. Check this out. Look at the next verse. You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And there's a reason for that. It wasn't his time to die yet. He was so popular that he still had a few more ministry things to do. Now look at verse 31. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. Jesus began to tell them that he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. Going down to the next verse, and the Bible says, He said this openly and plainly, and Peter took him aside. Somebody say, Oh, Peter. Say it, say it like the old, uh, what was the old Leave it to, to Beaver movie. Say, Oh, Peter, come on. Oh, Peter. Now notice this. Catch this now. I want you to get this. Look what Peter said. As Jesus talked openly with his disciples, disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Peter is rebuking Jesus. Peter's, he, is, he is reprimanding him for saying that he would die and, and, and be killed and be raised again. And now Peter had the right heart. He didn't mean any malice by this. But he had spiritual blindness. Look what Jesus said in verse 33. Jesus turned to him, verse 33, and he turned to his, his disciples and looked at them, and then he reprimanded Peter. 
Then he rebuked Peter, and notice what he said. He said, he said, Satan, get thee behind me. Satan, get away from me. So one minute, catch this now, one minute, Peter is being used, he's, being, he's speaking of the Lord. It's being spoken of it, the Lord is using him. Matthew 16, we had just found out, same passage, Jesus said, who am I? Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my Father. Upon uh, the rock I will build my church. Jesus had just told Peter, I'm going to use you to help establish my church in the earth. And in the same breath, in the same sentence, Peter's being used by God, and in the next minute, he's being used by the devil to tempt Jesus to not follow through with the cross. Good, godly people can still be used by the enemy. I say it all the time. Satan comes to church every week, and he wears shoes. He wears size 10. Who's wearing size 10 in here today? Anybody? In the... Satan comes to church every week, and you can love God. You don't mean mean. But, but Satan can use us if we're not careful because we are all susceptible to spiritual blindness. Look what Jesus said here. Notice this. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. This is where I want to spend a few minutes this morning. You're not seeing things from God's vantage point. So we see a man. Let me tie this together here for a few minutes. We see a man who is blind. Jesus lays his hands on him, and he sees halfway. He sees men walking his trees, fuzzy. It's not clear. And Jesus heals his physical blind. The same chapter. This is developing into an entire chapter of not only physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Peter gets a revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus compliments him. Peter, you're, you got it. Flesh and blood's not revealed this to you. Now, I believe with all my heart that Jesus in his uh, flowing in the spirit that he was in at this point. I believe he probably knew what was coming next. He knew that Peter was going to get this revelation, and God said, I'm going to use you to establish my church. You're going to be a leader in the early church. And he knew just a few breaths later that Peter would be saying, you can't die, you can't do this, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus would say, get thee behind me, Satan. Now let me say this as we're traveling down this road. He didn't say, get thee behind me, Peter. What did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. We should not attack individuals. If you have someone in your life who is a thorn, if you have someone in your life who's causing you grief, if you have someone in your life who you feel like is, is an agitator of Satan, it is not appropriate for us to aim our anger and our hate and our frustration for the situation at the person. They are simply being used by Satan. They may not be willing. They may not know it. They may have a good heart. Peter took Jesus aside, and he had a good heart, but yet he was not looking at the things of God. He was only looking from a human vantage point. So when we only look at things from a human vantage point, we're being used by Satan. Satan uses us looking at things from a human standpoint, from a natural, physical standpoint. Satan uses that as a tool. The Bible says in Romans, this is a scripture nobody has highlighted, I imagine. It's in the very end of Romans, and it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. It's quiet in this monastery this morning. 
Say that with me. Say, whatever's not of faith is sin. So Peter wasn't bad. Peter went on to do great things. But Peter had a moment of spiritual blindness. Look at this in the Amplified Version, verse 33, Matthew 8, 33. Notice this here. You have... You do not have a mind intent on promoting what God wills. See, Peter had this idea that Jesus was going to be this roaring Messiah, this chief, this military man, going to come in and take over the city. And he didn't, he didn't think Jesus was coming in a little manger and would be killed and, and be abused and beaten by the Romans and, and, and just, you know, just made of none effect. He thought he would be this grand warrior, and that's what they thought the Messiah was. That's the second coming. Jesus is coming back like that, but that's the second coming. It wasn't his first coming. The Jews missed that in the prophetic utterances of the Old Testament. They missed the first and second coming. Notice this here. Jesus said, you do not have a mind intent on promoting what God wills, but what pleases men. You are not on God's side, but you are on the side of men. I mean, that's pretty tough. Remember now, just a few minutes earlier, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed by the Spirit. So Peter was a good man, he had a good heart, but he had a moment of spiritual blindness. Look at the next translation. I think it's in the NIV. Jesus turned, looked at his disciples, and said, get, be behind, get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So for the next moment, as we begin to land this plane for today, here's where I want to take us in this message. I really began to talk to the Lord about what was his word for us this morning. You know, every message God has a word for the church, and he has a word for us individually, but, but there's a word for us as the collective church. And I really began to just dive through this and, and just, just mull this over and over and, and talk to the Lord about it. And here's what I really, really sense in my heart this morning. We must stay focused, focused. Remember the man? He couldn't see clearly. Remember Peter? He lost his focus. We must stay focused on the things of God. As we heard this morning, we must stay focused on the things of God because it is so easily... We are so easily distracted. Look at Colossians chapter 3. This will kind of summarize it for you. Are you with me? Are you hanging on? Hanging on? Look at this now in Colossians chapter 3. If then, and it, it reads, since you have been raised with Christ to new life, thus sharing in his resurrection from the dead, aim at, somebody say aim at, and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 2. Scripture says, set your mind. Somebody say, set your mind. This is an intent. This is a purpose. This is being intentional. This does not happen by accident. As believers, we must set our minds and keep them set. Peter had set his mind, but Peter did not keep it set. Do you see how this ties in? One minute, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed that to you. Peter had his mind set. Just a few minutes later, Peter lost that focus. And the picture of the gospel became fuzzy. Just like the man who was healed by his blindness, the people were fuzzy. Do you see how the Lord is tying all this in together? So we live in 2017. We live in the age of the utmost distraction of 
I don't know, I can't speak for every generation, but in my lifetime, it is never, we've never been more busy, we've never had more to do, we've never had more responsibilities, we've never had more good things to do. So how do we keep our, how do we, how do we set our mind and then keep our mind? It's not enough just to set your mind. You can set your mind on the things of God at one season in your life, but if you're not careful, there will come another season where that slips away and that drifts away and you find yourself like Peter thinking only, focusing only on human things. Set your minds, keep them set on what is above, the higher things. Somebody say higher things. Not on the things that are on the earth. Look at verse 3. Let's see what the Lord says to us in this passage. For as far as this world is concerned, you've died and your new real life is hidden with God in Christ. Now, I want to kind of bring this to you here for just a minute. Because we're always supposed to place our minds. Somebody tell me. Things above. Thank you for the four of you that are listening. Praise God. We'll try it all together. Where are we supposed to set our minds? Okay, heaven. Yes, I heard all that. Now, let me bring a balance here, okay? I'm not talking about just heaven. Now, there is a, an element of heaven that we should really desire. But you know what makes heaven heaven? It's that we're with the Lord Jesus. It's that we're with the Lord Jesus. He's the light of the world. There's no sun in heaven because Jesus is the light. The thing that makes heaven heaven is we're with our heavenly Father forever and ever. We're with the Lord Jesus. But why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did Jesus leave heaven to come to the earth? Remember Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, not my will be done, but yours be done. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. What is the will of God in, in heaven? Why did Jesus come to the earth? If you read Luke's gospel, he said Jesus came to seek and to save that which were lost. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, the Bible prophesies that Jesus would be the seed of a woman who would defeat the powers of Satan and bring mankind back to fellowship with God. You understand God is holy. Can I have an amen? You understand man is sinful. The bridge to get from sinful, rebellious man to a holy, righteous God, the bridge was the cross, and his name was Jesus. Amen. That's the bridge. So what is the intent of heaven? People. Everything we read in the gospel, why, why did Peter get rebuked? Because he was telling Jesus, you don't need to go die. Because if you die, you save people. So think about heavenly things. And when we say that, we always think about the good things of heaven for us. Thank God for heaven there's no sickness. Thank God for heaven there's no tears, there's no pain. Thank God for heaven there's no evil, there's no sin. There's no sand in your eye and you have to call the eye doctor on a Sunday to get him to clean it out with a Q-tip. Have you ever had your eye cleaned out with a Q-tip? It is no fun. Those are all great things about heaven, Miss Gail. But bringing heaven to earth, what's the purpose? Why did, why did God bring heaven in Jesus? Why did he bring it to the earth? Because there was a great divide. Man over here separated from God. Holy, righteous God, loving people, wanting people. We had that relationship. Man gave it away, committed treason. If you read the whole gospel, what does the gospel mean? The good news I become alarmed in my heart because we say focus on heaven, focus on the things above, and we think about how good it's going to be for us in heaven. 
But the focus of heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is to, honestly the people in these seats that don't know the Lord that will experience the judgment of God. God's judgment was not made for us. It was made for Satan and his angels. But the focus of heaven is to redeem and buy back mankind so we don't experience the judgment of God. If people do not know the Lord, they are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of God. And they will be punished and they will be judged for eternity. And what is the point of heaven? What is the focus of heaven when we keep our minds set on things above? The focus, ladies and gentlemen, is... Not just our blessings and how we'll feel in heaven and it'll be we'll skipping through daisies and la, 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 la. Thank God for all that. Those are all things of heaven. Streets of gold, so forth, so on. Man, praise God. But the real heartbeat of heaven is people. The Father loving people through the Son. And so when we stay focused on the things of God, what do we stay focused on? people. For just a moment in Peter's life, people was not the focus of the ministry. The focus was let's build our kingdom. The focus was let's be rulers together on the earth. The focus was about what man could do instead of being focused on heaven. Doesn't the Bible say in James chapter 4 and 14, do you see what I, do you get this this morning? Do you, do you see how easy it is for churches to become spiritually blind? We can have good hearts and we can be used by God in a moment. But if we're not careful, if we don't set it and keep it, we become spiritually blind to the heartbeat of God, which is people. Look at James chapter 4. It says, as far as, uh, look at James here chapter 4. It says, do you, do you not know that your life will, will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Your life is a vapor. It is here a little while and then it's gone. Here a moment and then gone. Like a vapor. Somebody blow. Blow on your neighbor. You've been wanting to do it all day. So for just a minute this morning, I want to help you focus on the things of God. What are the things of God? What are the things of heaven? People. Loving people. How easy it is that we lose our focus on what really matters. Number one, I want to give you seven secrets. You knew it was coming. We won't get through all seven today. Somebody said, Amen. David said amen over there. Seven secrets to staying focused on the things of God. Seven secrets to staying focused on the things of God. Number one, the first thing you and I must do, the first thing that we have to do if we're going to stay focused on the things of God. Peter, for a moment, had lost his focus. If we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to make a difference in our community, if your new church, Pastor Randy, is going to accomplish all that God has called for you to accomplish, number one, we must make God's word absolute authority in our life. Number one, it starts with the Bible. And if you get into the Bible and get in sound doctrine and get in good Bible teaching, that's why I love this church. We get such good teaching here. Doesn't matter if it's me or Gail or Pastor Randy or Pastor Michael or Rick or whoever, Jay. We get such great teaching here in this church. You've got to give God's word absolute authority in your life, meaning I'm actually going to build my family and I'm actually going to build my life around the book. There's a novel idea. But we've got to stay focused. We have to be committed. Look at Acts 17, verse 27. 
Acts 17 and 27 reads this. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps find their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Notice this here in 28. For in him we live and move and we exist. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being, in him we exist. Somebody say this when we say, I will make God's word the absolute authority in my life. What would our church look like if everyone in the room really lived the book? What kind of community would we have? We hear about someone who has a need, we would all sell whatever we could, and we would get together and we would meet that need. We find about someone that is having a problem or an illness, we'd come together as a family, we would give generously, we would never ever have to ask for special offerings ever again because we would all be just giving so generously, God would be speaking to every one of you through the week on what we need, and it would be there when we got here. Boy, I want to go to that church, amen? What if we all committed our children to follow after the Bible? What if we really read Deuteronomy where it said when you walk by the way and when you, wise, when you rise up and when you go to bed and when you're doing your chores, keep the precepts of God before you? What if we really took that serious and what if we really did it? If we're going to stay focused on the things above, which are people, we've got to make God's word the absolute authority in our life. It's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. James 1.22 tells us this admonition. Don't only hear God's word, but do it. Don't only just hear good preaching, but do good preaching. Have you know the Bible is not something to know, it's something to do. Can I have an amen? Scripture tells us, in Psalm 119, 105, I love this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of you have ever walked around with a flashlight? How many of you have ever been camping and had to go to the urinal <laughs> and did not take a flashlight and wound up in someone else's tent? Oh, wait, that was Pastor Randy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tell that story. No, I'm just teasing. Just picking on him today. How many of you ever been camping and you take a flashlight with you. Meshach, what does a flashlight do? What does a torch do? It provides safety. It provides security. So Sabrina, as we're walking through life, the path is difficult. The path is dark. I mean, you know, we live in a dark path, a dark world. But it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, meaning God's word will guide every step. But not only will God's word be a lamp unto my feet, every step but God's word will be a light unto my path path speaks of destiny path speaks of the calling of God on your life not only will God's word guide you step by step but it will illuminate your path so without the word of God you're on your own without the word of God you don't have that safety and that security now number two we'll quit with this one today unless you guys want me to keep going because I could keep going any takers? We'll have a private sermon right over here for those of you that are holy and good and all things pure. Praise God. Number two, the second secret to staying focused on the things of God. It's so easy to become distracted. Elbow your neighbor and say, don't be distracted. For the next five minutes, dear God, don't be distracted. Don't be thinking about lunch and all that. Let's focus on this for just a minute. You see the irony of what I'm saying? Let's focus on not being distracted. Rinkum likes that. 
So here we go. Number two, the second secret is to identify and overcome distractions in life. What are some distractions? Now, I'm going to shock you here. What are some distractions from keeping your mind set on the things above? Remember this, ladies and gentlemen, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to his heart. The more of a passion for God you have, the more compassion you have for people. So the closer I get to God, the more I love people. So if you, if you can't stand people, you're not going to fare very well in heaven. <laughs> Can I have an amen? The closer I get to God, the more I love people because God loves people. That's his focus. It's his heartbeat. So what distracts us from this? What distracted Peter? I'm going to say this here, children. Now, I'm not saying drop them off and leave them. Can I have an amen? <laughs> you need them. But we can make responsibilities that we should have. We can make those can become, if we're not careful, a distraction. Now, you have to take care of your responsibilities. But even my children, if I let them, could become a distraction. I'm going to talk about me. What, what could distract me? Preaching sermons to you could distract me because I could become so focused on the message that I'm not able to spend time with the Lord and have his heartbeat. Church work, all this stuff we do could be a distraction if we're not careful. How about your job, your career? How many of you have a job? How many of you know somebody with a job? Okay, it affects everybody in the house. How many of you want a job? Praise God. I heard we're hiring a worship leader. Anybody want a job to know? If we're not careful, even our career path, even our, even our ambitions, I know some people that have like no ambition. They're like negative on the ambition scale. You know what I'm talking about? They got to look up to see ambition. I mean, they're way down there. None of you. But I also know people that are so ambitious. Josh, I know people that are so ambitious that, that they let them become distracted from what God has called them to do and keeping their mindset on the Lord. So there's many, many distractions in life. Close your eyes for just a second. Take 30 seconds and roll over in your mind what are some things that could or maybe do distract you from the purposes of God. Maybe they're real legitimate responsibilities. What are some things that can pull you and, and, and cause your focus to be broken? Let's look at this in the Bible in Luke chapter 10. This is a very important passage as we wrap this up. Luke chapter 10, Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Look at the next verse in verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Somebody say, good job, Mary. All right, notice the next one here. But Martha, somebody say, but Martha. But Martha was distracted. Now, whose home were they in? How I many know if you're having Jesus, the Savior of the world, the house needs to be clean? <laughs> Can I have an amen? How I many know that's a big deal? But Martha, listen, friends, Martha did not get scolded and rebuked here for cleaning and serving and, and doing what needed to be done. She got rebuked because she was distracted from the main thing. Her focus was not clear. Check this out. She came to Jesus and said, I love this. this is just, she didn't go to her sister. She said, well, I'm gonna, I'll teach you. I'm going to go to the Son of God, and I'm going to get you in line. <laughs> I mean, if Jesus were here, I'd tell my, him about my brother too. I'd, I'd tattle as well. 
Notice this here, Jesus. Jesus, don't, don't you think that it's unfair? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you notice what I'm doing, how hard I'm working? Look how clean this house is. Jesus, don't you think that it is unfair that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all the work? How many of you have ever felt like Martha? Can we be honest? I have felt like Martha, uh, but I use the men's bathroom anyway. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus, don't you think it's unfair that I'm doing all the work? Tell her to come and help me. You guys are just now getting that over there. Jasmine's like, oh, dear me. Look at verse 41. The anointing just left the room. Praise God. Look at verse 41. Notice this here. Don't be distracted by my terrible sense of humor. <laughs> that was pretty good. I'm proud of myself for that one. But don't let it distract you from what God's saying. Notice this here. Notice this here. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha. Notice it. Notice the love. Because Martha was not in a place that Jesus wanted her to be. So he lovingly called her to that place. Dear Martha. Dear beloved Martha. You are worried and upset over all these details. I want to specifically encourage Pastor Randy and Emily with this. As you guys are trekking down the road for the church plant, there's going to be a lot of details and going to be a lot of work. But don't let that distract you from the next passage in verse 42. Us here at Emmanuel, we have to set up every week. Those that work in Kids Quest, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of work. The worship team, you have to come early and practice and we have to set up and we have to take everything down and there's a lot to do that needs to be done that we must do. However, we must not allow this to happen. Look at verse 42. You're upset and worried about over all these details, but the next verse says there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Now, you also have to understand Jesus was nearing here. You know, this was wrapping down for the Lord and, and they only had a few, not much time left with the Messiah there on the earth. Notice this here. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken from her. Last passage, and we're going to wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 35. Paul says this. He says, I'm saying this for your own profit. I want you to serve. I, we need you to serve. If you haven't noticed, we've got a lot going on. I need you to give as a, as a church. We, we've got a lot we want to do together for the Lord. We want to make a major difference for the Lord. But it is more important to me that you do what Mary did and sat, sit at the feet of Jesus and not become so distracted. Another translation says she was cumbered about with much serving. It's not that Martha was serving. That's not the problem. She was allowing that to distract her from the, being at the feet of Jesus, sitting at his feet. If you're at the feet of Jesus, you get the heartbeat of Jesus, which is people, which is the focus of heaven. Paul said, I'm saying this for your own profit. Not that I can snare you or cast a snare upon you, but for that which is seemly, notice here it says that you may attend unto the Lord without distraction. So that you may attend and serve unto the Lord without distraction. I want to ask Pastor Randy to come this morning and, and help us on the instruments. And here's what I really sense the Lord would talk to us about this morning. And we're going to pick this up next week. How many of you are excited to come back next week? We've got seven secrets to stay focused on the things of God, and we only got through two. So we'll do the other ones next week. But here's my concern. 
Because we live in a day and an age where it is so easy to become distracted. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And we have to be so intentional about it. Remember Peter? You guys remember Peter in the Bible? I'm doing a really good job as your pastor. You all remember Peter. Remember he heard from God, you're the Messiah. Then he was used by the devil. Satan, get thee behind me. But it didn't end there. Peter went on to be a marvelous apostle for the Lord Jesus. He took a step in the flesh, but he got back on track. And next week we're going to talk about getting back on track. Remember Jesus said, dear Martha, that's a calling to come back, a calling to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. I'll show you a scripture next week in Mark chapter 3 where it says Jesus called the disciples to himself that they might first be with him and then that he might send them out to preach. Our first calling in life is to be with the Lord Jesus intimately and loving in this loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then our heart will begin to beat for people. Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes for just a few moments. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you caused it to grow and bear much fruit. I bind every devil that would come and steal it. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody moving around unless you have a ministry assignment. If you're in this house this morning and you've walked away from the Lord, you do not know right now if you were to die, if you would go to heaven or hell, if you don't know that, that you would stand in front of a holy God, forgiven and clean. Let us pray with you today. Today you can make a decision to follow Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'd like to surrender your life to the Lord this morning for the first time, or maybe come back to the Lord, you've been away from God and you want to surrender back to Him, come back to the Lord this morning, would you let me pray with you and raise your hand and let us pray with you on the count of three. One, Two, three, anybody in the house say, that's me, Pastor. I want to pray. I want to receive the Lord this morning. Anybody at all this morning? Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a minute. How many of you be honest and say, man, there's a lot that distracts me. God's got a calling on my life, and, and, and I'm called to reach people. I'm called to be light. I'm called to be salt. I'm called to be the joy of the Lord. I'm... I'm called to encourage. I'm called to serve. But there is so much that can distract me. I want to make a new, fresh commitment this morning that I'm going to stay focused on the things of God. I'm not going to be distracted by a relationship. I'm not going to be distracted by an opportunity. I'm not going to be distracted by an employment opportunity. I'm not going to be distracted by so many responsibilities that I cannot love and follow the Lord. How many of you would say, Pastor James, I needed this realignment this morning to get back on track. Would you raise your hand up? Yes, all over. Who else say, I needed this alignment? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Grab the hand of your neighbor. I want Sister Gail to come and pray over us. And this morning we're making a decision. What we're doing right now is we're setting our mind. And we're keeping it focused. Let's pray for one another. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord. And then as soon as we're done, we want to invite you, for those of you that are interested in our Nicaragua mission trip, November 17th, meet me right over here. I want to see what kind of interest we've got, who, who may want to try to go. But let's pray right now. Begin to pray for your brothers and sisters.
and we're not going to be distracted and we're going to stay focused and we're not going to be subject to spiritual blindness anymore, but we're going to follow the Lord. Let's pray together, friends. Thank you, Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that regardless, Lord, of how bad we feel for, Lord, letting things distract us, you're just waiting for us, God, to turn our eyes and our focus back on you. We know, Lord God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, as uh, the writer of Hebrews said, the Lord uh, will not abandon me where you told us, Lord, that you would not leave us nor forsake us, but you'd be with us. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? Lord, we know that you're with us and that, God, we feel your spirit tugging at us this morning and saying it's not the things of the world that we need to look at. It's not people that we need to look at, but it's your word. It's the authority given to us as believers. It's the fact, dear Lord, that you're leading us and guiding us. And God, as we, are, Lord, want to see everything open up before us, that you don't always give us everything that we can see but lord your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and lord you will open the path up as we walk in faith lord on what we do see and god if we turn our eyes away from you and listen to man we will not know what you're trying to show us we will not see the path that you're leading us into but god i pray that we will know it We'll receive it. We'll have that no so in our hearts. We'll have that rhema word of God in us every day, God, even though our natural sight may be showing us something else, God, may be uh, pulling at us. May we have that rhema word enlightened by the Holy Spirit, God, that we are on the path you have for us as a body, Lord, as a family, God, that we can just be part of that bridge to bring people back to Jesus. We love you and we just give you glory. God, we pray over every family, every home, every individual in this building today that God, as we go out, we go out encouraged, encouraged by your word, Lord. And we thank you so much for our pastor and for the word of God that he brings to us today. And we love you, Lord, and we give you glory in Jesus name. Amen.